Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The Remain in Mexico policy resumes under Biden. We had some promises from the Biden administration that they would look to creating a more humane asylum system, but we haven't seen that mindset. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. There are efforts to include women in the draft. She could also choose to serve in a cyber unit where she is sitting behind lines where she's safe, but certainly working to disrupt the enemy. All of these jobs are important. A list of exhibitions to check out in your weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. This week marked the return of the controversial Remain in Mexico policy as two asylum seekers were sent back to Tijuana to await the resolution of their cases. The program, which began during the Trump administration and was later restarted by President Biden, highlights a frustration in the handling of asylum cases, an approach that many thought would differ under the new president. Joining me now with more is San Diego Union-Tribune reporter Kate Morrissey. Kate, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. So, Kate, bring us up to speed here. What led to the restarting of this program earlier this week? The program as a whole actually restarted in December, but it restarted here at the San Diego-Tijuana border this week. And so this comes from a federal judge in a case brought by Texas and Missouri over the way that the Biden administration ended the program last year when they were initially trying to wind it down. And the judge decided that the program had been ended incorrectly and ordered that it be reinstated. As part of that, the Biden administration 
Biden has actually in some ways expanded the program, particularly when you look at which nationalities they have said are eligible to be returned. That has grown to actually be the entire Western hemisphere, which was not the case when this program existed under the Trump administration. And so we have heard a lot of criticism from folks saying that the Biden administration is sort of using the judge's order as an excuse to bring back the program because it's reverting to this mindset of deterrence that is sort of a longstanding way that the United States has addressed people coming to its border, including asylum seekers. And let's go into that a little deeper. Talk more about what's been the reaction to the return of this policy. Well, locally, a lot of the organizations that are generally involved in supporting asylum seekers in the San Diego, Tijuana region, um, all of these legal services organizations are refusing to cooperate with the program. The Biden administration in Texas found a group of attorneys willing to sort of be a, a hotline for some of the people being returned there, but they have not found someone to do that work, as far as I can tell, in the San Diego region. And we're hearing, you know, just everyone is so frustrated that this program is coming back. This was a key campaign point for the president that he was going to get rid of this program. And I've heard a lot of people arguing that there were other ways that the administration could have responded to the judge's order. There are still court cases out there trying to get this program ruled as illegal anyway. And and the Biden administration is still pursuing the previous administration's defenses of the program in, in those court cases. What do we know about the asylum seekers who were sent back? So far, there have been across the border more than 200 people who have been returned. The first day in San Diego, Wednesday, there were two people. It was two men from Colombia. I believe there were seven more the next day, and and we have yet to see um, how many are coming back today, Friday. So it's sort of slowly increasing in, in the numbers that are being returned. What we do know about the larger number of returns at the Texas border is that these are largely nationalities who were previously being allowed into the United States to pursue their asylum claims. And that's significant because there is a second border policy from the Trump administration that has carried over and been continued and defended by the Biden administration. And that is the Title 42 policy, uh, which started under the pandemic and gives officials this ability to expel people without allowing them to access the asylum system. And what we've seen lately is that policy being applied to certain nationalities, but not as much to others. So we see that happening to people from Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador. And what we've heard from officials and what we've seen on the ground is that people of those nationalities are still being selected for Title 42 rather than remain in Mexico. So remain in Mexico is more happening to people from Nicaragua, for example, where you have a president who's basically made himself into a dictator. And so anybody who is politically dissenting there is not safe. And so we do see a lot of people fleeing here from Nicaragua asking for protection. And in Texas, that's been the largest group returned. Some of the criticism is also that this policy has the stint of racism on it. Can you talk a bit about that? 
I think that goes back to this idea of deterrence that the United States has had for decades in its approach to border management, which is based in this belief that people arriving at the border is a bad thing. And a lot of that is based in some of the racism and xenophobia that dates back decades and centuries in our country. And so when you're looking at how these policies are framed and how they're thought of, they're a continuation of that legacy in a lot of ways. We haven't seen anyone in these positions of power in our country really try to fundamentally change that. We had some promises from the Biden administration that they would look to creating a more humane asylum system, but we haven't seen that mindset really change from what has been around for decades and decades. I've been speaking with San Diego Union Tribune reporter Kate Morrissey. Kate, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Congress last month ditched a controversial measure that would have required women to register for the selective service. Men must register when they turn 18 and can be forced into military if the U.S. ever reinstates the draft. But supporters of gender-neutral registration say they'll keep working to include women. Desiree Diorio reports for the American Homefront Project. It was the closest the country has come to requiring women to register for the selective service. The House of Representatives and the Senate Armed Services Committee approved the historic change as they debated the annual defense spending package. Then it got stripped out during closed-door negotiations. Support for the requirement has united unlikely political allies. Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand from New York, a member of the Armed Services Committee, calls it a gender equality and a national defense issue. To say only men are needed in that moment of a national emergency is outrageous and obscene. Gillibrand says she's determined to get the law passed, whether that's through annual defense spending or a standalone bill. Republican Senator Joni Ernst from Iowa also backs the measure. The Army veteran says a draft is very unlikely, but women would be essential in any future conflict. She could also choose to serve in a cyber unit where she is sitting behind lines where she's safe, but certainly working to disrupt the enemy. All of these jobs are important. The call to include women in the selective service has picked up steam as women have expanded their footprint in the military. While congressional Democrats are largely united on the issue, Republicans are split. Republican Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene said at a September meeting of the House Rules Committee that women would be unfairly disadvantaged if forced to fight. Men and women are not physically the same, and women do not possess an equal opportunity to survive on the battlefield in direct combat with battle-hardened men. And I can say that as a woman who can deadlift 300 pounds, can do more pull-ups than anyone else in this room, and run faster than any of you. The push to require women to register with the Selective Service reflects a report last year from a commission Congress created. It recommended Congress keep the Selective Service in place as a last resort in case the U.S. faces a threat too big for the all-volunteer military to handle. And it said women should be required to register, too. Republican former Congressman Joe Heck from Nevada served as chairman. Congress has once again shirked their responsibility to answer an important question that they themselves raised that they chartered a commission to review, which commission returned a report with a recommendation that both houses accepted in their respective drafts, only to have it taken out as a political maneuver. 
Meanwhile, some feminist groups are calling on Congress to dismantle the selective service system altogether. Code Pink is an anti-war group that formed in 2002 during the run-up to the Iraq War. National Director Carly Town says supporters of expanding the selective service use false feminist language. It's premised on the idea that gender equality means expanding the opportunity for women to be coerced into joining the U.S. military. Our take is abolish it for everyone. That is true gender equality. This summer, the Supreme Court rejected a case that argued the all-male selective service is discriminatory. The justices said the issue was for Congress to decide. Former Congressman Joe Heck hopes now the Supreme Court will revisit the issue. I'm Desiree DiOrio on Long Island. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. In our weekend art preview, we have some intriguing ensemble music and lots of new visual art from border artists, including an exhibition of painted renditions of celebrity mugshots. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. First up, let's talk about two new exhibitions opening up at Best Practice Gallery in Logan Heights, both by Mexican artists who are longtime partners and collaborators. Tell us about them. Yeah, one is a work by Mauricio Munoz, and these are paintings that they based on celebrity mugshots. And then there's also a video installation, a separate exhibition by Andrew Roberts. Robert's work is informed by this pretty unusual connection that his family has on both sides. Both of his grandfathers, one in America and one in Mexico, were involved in arms manufacturing during the Vietnam War, working with the same company in different countries. The Mexican grandfather opened a factory of his own only for it to be completely lost to fire. And the American grandfather, after he fought in the war in Vietnam, he came home with severe PTSD and he burned down his own home. So Roberts is drawing on a lot of family trauma and connects it to these really bigger issues of interventionist policies and the arms relationship between U.S. and Mexico. Using video game software, he rendered 3D models of his grandfather's house and his grandfather's factory that burned, and he created this two-channel video work with narration for that show. Mm. And I want to hear more about those celebrity mugshots and why that was important to turn into artwork. 
Well, these are pretty incredible. And for me, what was actually kind of unsettling was how instantly recognizable these paintings are. Despite the fact that Munoz uses really thick brushstrokes, these paintings are like abstract swirls of color and texture, but they're still unmistakable. There's Paris Hilton's mugshot, there's Michael Jackson and Justin Bieber. And what Munoz is trying to get at here is the way we have this kind of hunger for what they refer to as celebrity misery. I found like the roots of today's obsession and eagerness to consume and see like the misery of the celebrities. It's almost like a voyeurist thing to see like always celebrities like suffering or seeing them in some kind of trouble or they they're always arrested for you know driving under the influence or possession or or some something like that that at the end all these celebrities just get away with whatever they they did and you can see these works during the opening reception for both exhibitions on Saturday from 5 to 8, or during Best Practices Open Gallery Hours. They're located at Bread and Salt in Logan Heights, and they're open Tuesday through Sunday from 11 to 4. And there's a lot to see at Bread and Salt this weekend, so it is worth popping in. Roman DeSalvo has just reinstalled his 2019 tree sculpture that was originally constructed inside the Timken. And the San Diego Art Prize show is also closing this weekend, so it's your last chance to see that on Saturday. Also, Maggie Shen is doing a performance of her edible installation called Scape. But definitely check out those best practice exhibitions. That's Mexico-based artists Mauricio Munoz and Andrew Roberts on view at Best Practice from Saturday through February 12th. Let's stay with visual art. Up in Oceanside, there's a new exhibition of photography by Tijuana-based artist Andres Hernandez. Tell us about this. Yeah, this is called Crying on the Blue Line Trolley, and it is such an evocative idea. It's analog photography, some collage, and some poetry and video works as well, all based around the landscapes and the architecture of this route between her home in Tijuana and in San Diego using public transit. There's a lot of bridges, there's overpasses, but also the natural boundaries too, like the estuaries and the fields. And this is all really intimate and vulnerable work too. You can view it at Hill Street Country Club at an afternoon reception on Saturday from 1 to 4. Masks are required and they're only letting in groups six at a time for short 15-minute viewings. So after that, it's viewable by appointment and you can easily make a reservation for that online. That's Andres Hernandez's solo exhibition at the Hill Street Country Club, which will be open Saturday through February 28th. Now for some music. The Sound On Festival turns for their 14th year with Surreality. What can we expect? Yeah, this is a joint venture of San Diego New Music and the Athenaeum Music and Arts Library. It kicked off last night and has performances tonight and Saturday night. Um, Each show features a pretty broad range of what's considered new music compositions, including the winning selections from Sound On's Call for Scores from 2020, 
It's all performed by the Ensemble in Residence at San Diego New Music. That's called Noise, conducted by Robert Zalekman. There's flute, cello, percussion, piano, and guitar. And looking at Saturday evening's performance in particular, I'm drawn to this brand new work for electric guitar that sounds like it's for a full orchestra. This is by Anthony Tan called Revealing the Divide. Masks are required, and the Athenaeum's Jacobs Music Room in La Jolla will only be at 70% capacity or less. And if you can't make the show, I've put a few streaming links in the article where you can listen to more of the tan composition and some of the other works in the program on your own time. The Sound On Festival has concerts tonight and Saturday at 7.30 p.m. And one more music event, Les Salon de Musiques performs a concert Sunday afternoon at the La Jolla Women's Club. Tell us about this. Yeah, let's start with listening to Mozart's Piano Quartet in E-flat major. And this is a beautiful work. It's for piano quartet, so for piano and three strings. And this was a form that Mozart was particularly good at. And he kind of spearheaded the popularity of the of the form, the piano quartet. And Les Salons de Musiques is a chamber performance group that's new in town just this last year. And their structure is intimate. There's no stages. And the concerts are kicked off with a musicologist talk. This one will be Nuvi Meta, who you may have heard at the symphony as well. They'll play the Mozart, as well as works by Rossini and Beethoven. They usually also have a champagne reception, but due to the current COVID surge, they're creating these fancy little take-home snack boxes. That way, guests will be able to keep their masks on the entire time at the performance. Les Salons de Musiques takes place Sunday at 4 p.m. at the La Jolla Women's Club. Given the uncertainty of the current COVID surge and the possibility of event cancellations, be sure to check with event organizers before attending. For details on these and more arts events or to sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS Arts Newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS Arts Editor and Producer Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thank you. Thanks so much, Jade. Have a good weekend. You too. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. 